1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant in Fast Motion. Yeah. Um, and that makes us the super fast episode of Stuff You Should Know on Spots. It's super fast? It's going to be... Um, it's not short. Oh, okay. We're just going to be talking really fast like this pretty much the whole <laughs> okay. time, all so right? So we can so get start, out of here. Yeah, pick up, will you? All right. Uh Yeah, Spies, like us. Yeah. Did you like that movie? <clears throat> I did. I was raised to dislike Chevy Chase. Really? By whom? My dad. Really? Yeah. Um, and I don't think my mom liked him either, but my dad definitely thought he was a jerk. His Well, words. he was kind of a jerk. And, um, yeah, apparently... I I read um this Saturday Night Live biography uh-huh. about like the show. Oh yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, and they talk about how he was the first one to um be able to develop a cocaine habit because he was the first one to start getting paid. Oh wow! And apparently he didn't share. Really? Mm-hmm. So that made him a jerk. I guess <laughs> I don't think that's why my dad thought he was a jerk. Yeah. Anyway, all apologies to Mr. Chase if you listen to this.
3: I, I was uh, have always been a big fan. Have you? Yeah, and I was very saddened when he his career kind of faltered and I missed Chevy Chase. Well, okay. He's on TV now though. He's he's on the T V yeah, on I, community, I,
2: right? Yeah, is that it? Uh, he was on it. I don't know okay. if he still is, but he I was, don't watch that show. Yeah, I don't either. Um but no, I hated Fletch. I'm just gonna come out and say it. I hate that movie Fletch. I hate Fletch two, I hate Fletch eight, I hate all the Fletches, I think it's a stupid movie, and I hate Fletch. But I did like Funny Farm a lot. <laughs> That's weird that you hated Fletch. I hated Fletch. Interesting. I still hate Fletch. You could show me Fletch right now. I'd be like, this is stupid. Turn it off. Oh, it's so funny. So Chuck. Yes. Uh, you know a little bit about spies. I believe you had a, a
3: bit of a story to share with everyone. Uh, a little bit. I mean, I was obviously spy stories of real life spies are kind of fun. And, um, to me, the best all time story, spy, real true life spy story was the story of uh Christopher Boyce and Dalton Lee. Okay. The Falcon and the Snowman. Oh yeah. I've never seen that movie, have you? Oh yeah, dude. Is it good? Yeah, really good. Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn, right? Yeah. Nice. And um that is the story of these two guys who uh two youngsters living in Southern California and uh Boyce uh, was hired by his father, I think, as a guard at an aerospace firm called T R. W. Incorporated and they um, that gave him access to a lot of, uh, CIA documents, mm-hmm. uh, that, that were working with the aerospace firm. They were drug dudes. So he was like, Hey, we can raise, like, make a lot of money selling these secrets to the Soviets uh-huh. down in Mexico City at their embassy, make money for, uh, drugs to run a drug operation. And they did so for like a year successfully. A year, huh? From 76 to 77 and were caught, of course, and jailed for espionage. And, uh, I had a little trouble for some reason finding out the current status of Lee. I did find out that Boyce, uh, actually escaped from prison in 1980 from Lompoc, was picked up again in 81, I think, and then, uh, was released in 2003 and lives, I think, in the San Francisco area. Wow. I've got this awesome LA Times article that I'm gonna read tonight for fun because I didn't have a chance to read it before. Oh, is it like a long read? Yeah, it's one of those like 15 page articles. Nice. big interview he did after he got released but i can't find out what happened to lee aside from a rumor that he was eventually released and sean penn hired him as his personal assistant and i don't know if that's true weird i can't verify that
2: i understand sean penn's like the real deal when it comes to like um combating poverty in haiti yeah he's like in there in the trenches every day he is isn't
3: that crazy some people think he's a jerk I happen to like the guy.
2: Oh, I like the guy a lot, yeah.
3: too. Yeah. Um, so, Chuck, how did the Falcon and the Snowman become spies? They were working, or, or uh, Boyce was working at, a, at an aerospace firm as a night guard and had access to sensitive documents. So why did he start? To make money.
2: Okay, so that's actually one of the main ways that a spy is recruited. Yeah. There's um there's several nice intro by the way dude. Thank you. That makes two. Yeah. Times they are changing. Give me your uh, punch card. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um the uh the, th- there are a few ways for a, a person to become a spy. Probably the most um straightforward way is to maybe join the army, army intelligence, join the CIA right out of college. Yeah. And basically just join your country's intelligence agency, be trained and then sent into the field. Sure. Maybe posing as a diplomat or being a diplomat. Yeah. Apparently the line is very um fuzzy between a person who's actually a diplomat and a diplomat who's a spy. Oh really? Yeah, it's like one and the same. I mean, they're still performing the same functions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a job as a diplomat, yeah. but they're also just spying too. Sure. Um and what are they I guess what's the basis of spying?
3: Well, they're what they're after obviously. And this is the no-brainer stuff, but we always have to point it out. Um they're after any valuable information to give to the country that they're working for. Right. Any kind of it's, – it's obviously usually military secrets, although we will uh, talk a little bit later about corporate spying, which is huge. Yeah. These days. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's typically people with access to these uh, either offices or high-ranking officials, um, they do have recruiters that go out. And like you said, they'll dangle a little money in front of your face. If they think that a person is someone they can turn. Right. Like, hey, you're not happy with your own country. We know this. You want to sell them out? Or we know you really like money and you're kind of unscrupulous. (laughs) Do you want to sell them out?
2: Right. Or we know your mother needs surgery and your government insurance, although the gold standard of health care (laughs) is American health care. It's part of the American system. Therefore, it's not going to really cover the surgery. So- Here's some money.
3: I'm or hey. Give mom the surgery. You want a movie made after you, about you? Right. After you're executed? You want to be uh, famous? Mm-hmm. You want to feel important? Because you're a nobody. You want to be somebody? Why don't you dig up some secrets for us? Right. And that's actually like a really good um,
2: recruiting tool or recruiting method is to identify somebody who has a menial job, some sort of file clerk. Yeah. But has access to really sensitive information. Exactly. Go in and, like you said, pump them up. I mean, I, I don't think you would actually say you're a nobody. <laughs> you would maybe promise the um, making them a somebody. You have to break them down before you build them back up, you know. It depends. It depends on what you're trying to do. Okay. Um, so those are the – oh, did you touch on ideological um, disillusionment with your home country?
3: Yeah, a little bit. Just, you know, you, like communism obviously was a big thing – uh yeah. We covered McCarthyism.
2: Yeah, like the Rosenbergs. Sure. They were, uh, at the very least communist sympathizers who supposedly, allegedly
3: spied for the, for the communists. The By the Soviets. way, w- did you see that email we got about that? No. We got an email from a, a guy in the Air Force that said, uh, there was a great interview with, I can't remember who it was, that basically said the Rosenbergs did have a lot more to do with it than like at first they were like, oh, they're guilty, guilty. Then later on, as we pointed out, they were like, you know, they didn't exactly sell the deepest dark hits of secrets and maybe they were made an example of. Right. But then apparently a more recent interview does implicate them a little bit more to the extent that their family even was like, ooh. It's so weird for McCarthy to be vindicated. Yeah. Um. So you've got blackmail
2: too as a way of getting people to do what you want. Like we have these photos sure. of you that you don't want published. Right. Like <laughs> – you clearly have a lampshade on your head, right? And uh, totally now you great. have to be a spy for us. Um, and then once you once you have the person agreeing to spy, oh, there's also walk-ins too.
3: And I think that might have been Boyce's deal was <clears throat> an opportunist who was like, "Hey, I want to be a spy." Yeah. Who, who do I call about that? Exactly. And
2: usually, if you're going to be a spy, um, you identify a country who's probably got the most money or the most desire yeah. for the information you have, sure. and then you go to their local embassy. I guess that would be a good way to do it. Yeah, you just walk right in. But if you are that country's diplomat slash spies working at the embassy, yeah. you're going to be immediately suspicious of someone like that. Very true. Apparently, the U.S. had a Russian defector. I can't remember. It may have been. Dimitri? This, it, yeah, it may have been <laughs> the guy who's mentioned. Um, no, Oleg uh, Penkovsky. Penkovsky. Yet, um, He was a Russian general, I believe, Soviet general, or he was with the KGB. Uh-huh. And I think he, he was a walk-in. Wow. He, he made a, tr- a secret trip to the U.S. And over years and years and years, like, he finally gained the trust of the Americans. He's like, look, this is legitimate information. This is this Cold War stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that was like the height of spydom
3: not quite so. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that later. I read a recent article that, that- I can't wait. Yeah, there's like a lot more going on now than you might believe. All right, so you have a paid, blackmailed, um,
2: or ideologically disenchanted spy- Sure. who you trust, and you assign them a person named a controller. Yeah.
3: Harvey Keitel, probably. <clears throat> yeah. In most cases. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a controller is the person who- I think they're they're just like your only contact, basically, right? Who you're going to be given the information to.
2: Yeah, or getting information or instructions from.
3: There's going to be one person you meet. Yeah, you don't want a large, you don't want your spy to know a lot of people. Right. Because that's no, not, they'll be compromised.
2: There's not a Christmas party. No. <laughs> you know? They should, though.
3: No, they shouldn't. They're, They'd all just sit around and like look at each other very wearily.
2: Right. Or they don't make eye contact. Right. Um, they, the, uh, the reason why they do this is called compartmentalization. Um, because if the spy is caught, there's only so much information they can give. They're That'd like, well, like, I was meeting yeah. a Mr. Orange that may or may not be his real name. Right. Uh, I never really saw his face. And actually I never met him. It was all handoff stuff. The park bench.
3: Well, you're talking about, uh, we might as well go ahead and cover that. The drop. The, the dead drop. The dead drop. Yeah. You see it in movies. Apparently it's real. You'll, you'll drop something in a public place very, uh, nonchalantly and, uh, then send the signal that it's, you know, been dropped to your controller. Mm-hmm. Then they will go to the, the little hidden loose brick in the public park wall mm-hmm. and fish out the microfilm. Yeah. The
2: microfilm. The, uh, micro dot. Maybe. Uh, what what has always struck me about spy work or articles on spies, and especially the gadgets and technology they use? Yeah, I always just assume it's like twenty years out of date. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was reading um this book called Veil by Robert Woodward. Uh-huh. Excellent book about like Reagan's secret wars. Really good book, and they're talking about this this light beam, I guess a laser. Yeah, that you can point at a window. And it measures the vibrations from a conversation, um, and translates them into audio.
3: So it's an eavesdropping device that they were using in the early sixties. You're talking about the Laser Emax 3500. I am. <laughs> well, they have these now. I'm sure it wouldn't, they, there are different ones, but yeah, it's an invisible infrared beam hits the window that and records the vibrations, mm-hmm. filters out all the gobbledygook. Yeah. And then amplifies it and records it. It's yeah. amazing. And
2: it's been around since the 60s. What do you
3: think they're doing now? Well, this is the one that's available now. So it's probably just. That's a slicker, better yeah. version? Well, and the article I read too on modern spy equipment basically said just that is it's a lot of the same stuff. It's just faster and mm-hmm. smaller. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, digital.
2: What's that one called?
3: This is called the Laser Emacs 3500. And the cool thing is, when you go to their website, it said, as used by. David Letterman and Jay Leno, <laughs> and Fox Five Undercover. Weird. Yeah, I well, guess they. I don't know. I guess they've done little bits where they spy on people.
2: Well, I don't know. Jay Leno spied on a an a NBC board meeting when they were trying to figure out whether to go with Letterman or him to replace really? Carson. Yeah, you got to see that movie. No, Late I've seen Shift. it. I don't remember that though. Yeah, well, he was just sitting in another room, like taking notes, like in a closet. Yeah, yeah. Hey, writing on a post-it. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get back to it, man. You, you have a controller. Your spy is compartmentalized. Very much. Um, before you start doing dead drops and everything, you don't want to get ahead of yourself because your spy is going to get greased. You have to first <laughs> create a cover and support it with the legend. Yeah. Right? So a cover is just like your secret identity or your false identity. Sure. And then the legend is the backstory around it. Yeah, and it needs to be detailed and thorough. Right. So, for example, um, you are a... Uh, if you're into fishing, I think the article uses. Yeah, it's a good, good example. Um, or your, let, your character is, your cover is. Right. Um, you're going to have fishing gear. And if you have a – that's part of the legend. You're going to have fishing – the part, the legend is that you are into fishing. You're a fly fisherman, big time. Mm-hmm. So then at your house, your apartment, whatever that's set up for you, you're going to have fishing equipment. Yeah. And if you're good, it's going to be used fishing equipment, and it's going to be of a certain um, quality – Depending on whether your, um, cover is frugal. Sure. Or, you know, kind of spendy or likes, you know, the best of the best.
3: That's a good point about use. So I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. That'd be like a movie thing is the guy sees the fly fishing gear and it's got a tag on it or something. Right. And exactly. all of a sudden. Doom. Right. Or boom.
2: Or both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, if you are, uh, say, a, a Russian accountant posing as a Russian accountant. Yeah. You probably should know the ins and outs of, uh, Russian tax law. Sure. Um, you should also probably speak Russian with a Russian accent from the, yeah. uh, from the region that you're supposedly from, that your cover's from. Yeah, uh, you saw No Way Out, right? Uh, is that the one with, uh, Kevin, uh, what's his face? Uh, Costner? Yeah, no, I didn't. Oh, that's a good one. I've heard. That was like a couple of years ahead of my,
3: I think I was watching Disorderlies while my family went and saw No Way Out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'm not gonna ruin that one, actually. I'm a spoiler guy usually for movies that are like fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. but um, I'm gonna leave that one to the to the people to go see it right, I'll or it to rent it or whatever because it's got a nice little twist okay right. um
2: what else chuckers um oh, this is not a quick thing
3: no, no no you, if you establish a cover it, it takes years to establish a cover. You're not gonna waltz into the russian uh the Russian embassy and say hey i'm I'm just uh a Russian accountant. And where are your documents? <laughs> this is not a small camera in my tie. Right. It takes a long time and people go, it's like being an undercover cop. You have to establish <laughs> his trust over a period of months and years even.
2: Yeah. Um And you're going to, in the meantime, be performing accounting Yeah. For as part of your business. And you better be good at it. Yeah. Or, or the, toast. Yeah. Or you could go to jail for tax fraud. <laughs> wouldn't that be surprising? Yeah, that'd be pretty that good. would definitely help your cover
3: though, wouldn't it? Oh, you had to go to prison for the for the state? Yeah. Sure. Uh, you are not going to be uh, memorizing things, although in a pinch, I'm sure they're probably trained to memorize a certain amount of information. Mm-hmm. But what you really want to do, and it is like in the movies, is to make tiny little copies, photocopies or photographs of uh, sensitive documents. Yeah. And relay those to your controller. And then that ends up on the microfilm, the micro dot. Um,
2: or... It could even just – you could make copies if you are like that file clerk who has regular routine access to that information. Just make copies of it and take it out of there. Yeah, and they have the little handheld copiers. Have you seen those? Those are cool. Yeah, those are pretty cool.
3: What you don't want to do is take anything. No, because then somebody might notice that. Exactly. The documents are missing.
2: Right, but you you don't have to listen to us. Your controller is going to tell you how he or she wants – the, the information. Sure, and there are plenty on.
3: of female spies, so uh, we definitely um, don't mean to say he a lot. But we're dudes. I said he or she. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, I mean, Valerie Plame, she was a spy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. very true. Um, It's not just on the ground, either. It's not just human spies. We've been using satellites for years. Since uh, 1960, I believe. And the fact of the show for me is that before the digital age... The satellite would take photographs, and I guess drop them, uh, develop them, and drop them in a bucket in the ocean. I think pickup. it was it was undeveloped. Oh, was it just yeah, the, the it's negative? Like the film canister. Yeah, of course, you develop was. it. Yeah, well, it's like a photo mat up there. Yeah, there's like some uh, stoner up there who yeah. like lives inside <laughs> developing <laughs> pictures. Oh, you remember the photo mat? Yeah. What a bygone era that is. Yeah. And those stoners, where are they working now? Uh, They're the not at video stores coffee either. Places, coffee shops. Yeah, mm. I think so. That's where I always see them. They are the 99%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um So they don't obviously have to drop them in the ocean any longer. They can just relay them digitally, and they've actually been doing that since 1970. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So long before we were taking digital photos, the like, government. And sending them wirelessly. Yeah, over radio, I think they, they did it.
2: Well, that's what wireless is. Yeah. Radio. It's pretty amazing. It is.
0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, what's good?
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and last business. I understand now, it's a wise man who a wiser woman.
1: It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Um, so again, that kind of proves my point, though, Chuck. I mean, like, what are we on to now? I know it's faster, smaller, better. There's got to be some cool stuff that, like,
3: wasn't around before, though. Well, spy planes back in the day, um, were large, like the U-2 spy plane, and it would have to fly right over the enemy. These days, of course, we have drones flying yeah. them, well, not flying themselves, but, uh, unmanned drones. Right. Doing the dirty work. All sorts of very dirty, dirty
2: work. That's right. Um, all of this, Chuck, is called technological intelligence, or tech int. <laughs> I'll bet everybody at your work thinks you're a jackass if you call it tech-int <laughs> <laughs> in the CIA. Yeah, they're like, it's T.I., dude. Uh, right, exactly. Um, or if you want to just really be in on this, line, just T. Just T. Um, so you've got spy planes, technically, at one point were T. Um, satellites, which now apparently can
3: read a headline on a newspaper. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you see Google Earth. Yeah. I mean, my car and my driveway was on it and that was a little creepy.
2: I know. It had bird poop on the roof. <laughs> it did. Um, there's, uh, like wire taps, that whole laser listening machine, uh, listening device. Yeah. That do you, do you want to talk about some more?
3: Uh, they have seismic equipment to detect, uh, nuclear testing. Uh huh. They have underwater sensors to find things like submarines.
2: Yeah. Which is a big deal again in Vail, which by the way, I recommend. Um, They were talking about how, back in the day, to eavesdrop on Russian cables. Like, the Soviets didn't encrypt all of their stuff on certain cables that were transmitted underwater. Oh, yeah. Especially ones that were close to the motherland, right? Right. So the U.S. would send subs um, to go and clamp on to these um, cables and listen for a few days. Wow! And they were, like, right off the coast of... The USSR. Holy cow. Really dangerous work. And then they finally made a recorder that they could go clamp on, drop off, and then leave for like a month or six months or whatever and then come back and get it. So there's only like that two windows where it was really scary rather than yeah. several
3: days just having to sit there quietly on the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this isn't new stuff. Um, that uh, Evolution of Spy Tools article I, I read was um, like, have you ever read The, the Art of War?
2: What was it? Sa- Sun Tzu,
3: Lao Tzu, Sun Tzu, Sa- Tzu? Sa- Sun. Sun Tzu. <laughs> and uh, there are more than a hundred references to spies and espionage, intelligence gathering in the Art of War. I didn't know that. This is very old. And uh, in the Revolutionary War, they would use invisible ink called Jay's sympathetic stain, was apparently <laughs> the best one to use, and they still uh, use. Or up until recently, they still used invisible ink huh. to transmit messages. It's crazy. You heat up certain things and it'll appear or hold it under a certain light. And like lemon juice. Yeah. That's the old little crafty trick, you mm-hmm. know, how to be a spy? It turns
2: like kind of this ugly burnt sienna color. Does it? Yeah. I don't But that. also, if you look at it, you can be like, oh, it's written in lemon juice. I can see without... Even just by
3: moving the paper a little bit. I don't think it's real bona fide spy stuff. <laughs> apparently, the Spartans would spy, and uh, they had a device called the Skytail, and uh, it was a long, slender rod which was uh, wrapped with a thin strip of uh, papyrus, and the message was written on the wrapping, uh, and it was passed on to a messenger, and apparently, it would, could only be read if it was rewound around a rod of the same diameter. So it was sort of like a... a, a an Enigma a, machine? Yeah. There you go.
2: Let's talk about that. Okay. Have you uh, have you read Enigma? No. There's a book about this whole thing, about really? the people who are cracking the code. But the Nazis had this very, very clever system of coding, encoding um, or encrypting messages, um, where they would have what's called an Enigma machine, which is kind of like a random typewriter. That would assign a, a code to a message, and it could only be decoded by a the same machine, like a twin machine. Right. Um, that would get this message and then turn it back into um, a, a whatever it was originally supposed to say. Wow. And um, the British apparently got in on breaking this at a place called uh, Benchley or Blenchley, I think, Park. Where, um, they had a few of these captured Enigma machines and were secretly, had secretly cracked the code.
3: I think and, the Polish yeah. even before that discovered it and then. You're right. Sh- and then shared it with the Brits who yes. were, you know, probably, uh, a little further along. Well, maybe not. Well, I think Alan Turing, um,
2: who invented the computer, essentially, was one really? of these Enigma code breakers. Yeah.
3: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, the information, it was codenamed Ultra. And it was obviously, uh, you know, something they kept on the, the very down low. Because you don't want Hitler to know you've got an Enigma machine, because then Hitler no. kills the guy who invented the Enigma machine.
2: I think they got one from a sunken sub. Oh, really? That the, the Germans were like, well, it's on the bottom of the ocean. We'll just leave it there. It'll be okay. And, um, somebody, somebody in the Allies went and got it.
3: Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty cool book, Enigma. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, what about the number stations? Did you see that? Yeah. That's pretty cool.
2: So remember, we talked about the Yosemite Sam transmission. It's yes. Like a, a data burst, and then you know uh, the whole "I'm going to blow you to smithereens" environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I imagine that that has to be from some sort of numbers station. But w- what is it?
3: Well, it's a it's a radio station that the government operates, and it broadcasts um, on short band frequencies just intermittently. Right. So they'll have a, a clue, like a song or an announcement that will mark the beginning or the end of the the secret broadcast. And obviously they won't say, like, you know, and now we will play the secret broadcast. Right. Some sort of hidden message. And then it'll be um, just a bunch of, a series of numbers that is obviously a coded message.
2: Right. What's awesome is it's not secret. Like, any schmo with, who's tuned into the right frequency right. can hear this broadcast, but he won't be able to make heads or tails of it. And apparently, like, this stuff happens all over the world. That's great. Uh yeah. So codes I mean, are huge though. Right. But Secret the, codes. The US isn't like, well yeah, we're we're doing this, but it's I mean, it's kinda like use your brain. Yes, that's exactly what we're well, doing.
3: Well the the article I read on the modern spy says basically the Americans and the Russians, while getting along, just have this sort of implied understanding that we're we're both still spying. Like let's not get each other. Oh yeah. Everybody's spying on everybody. Is those WikiLeaks cables
2: revealed? True. I mean, it's just you just want to gather intelligence or information on whatever is the case, you know, from trade policy, yeah,
3: to you know,
2: defense. Any any information that you can get gives you an upper hand, and I think everybody does it.
3: Well, since we're there, um, these days, you're going to find um, a lot of spying going on. I think the uh, yeah, it was the Washington Post said last year that there are t- more than 1,200 government organizations and close to 2,000 private companies. That work on programs related to counterterrorism. That's a huge way that they're spying these days, obviously, is terrorist cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, Homeland security and intelligence uh, in about 10,000 locations all across the U.S. So these days we're spying mainly on terrorist cells, Iran, North Korea, and China, obviously. Right. And um, it says that the U.S. is the recipient of hundreds of thousands of cyber attacks every day from uh, Beijing. Basically, they're trying to penetrate our firewalls. Yeah. And seeing what they can get. And, and uh, Does it work? Well, I hope not. <laughs> uh, we are also, um, spying on Israel. Sometimes you spy on your buddies because in 2008 there was an Israeli report that said that we have a long history of spying on Israel in regards to their, uh, secret nuclear program, so. Even if you're friends with the country, it doesn't mean you're not keeping tabs.
2: Yeah, well, that was one of the things about the WikiLeaks cables is they were, a lot of them were about our very close allies and friends. And um, it was just very embarrassing. And now Bradley Manning's going to spend the rest of his life in prison because the State
3: Department was embarrassed. (laughs) And then corporate spying is huge these days. Um, Private sector spy firms, basically, they said that there is nary... A large merger acquisition deal that goes down these days without a lot of spying going on, a lot of corporate spying. And uh, the CIA even lets people, uh, spies, Moonlight for corporations to make a little extra scratch. Is that right? That's what they said. Huh. And they said there's even an entire network of people who do nothing but track corporate jets and their flight patterns. Wow. Isn't that Crazy.
2: But makes sense. Oh, I mean, it does make sense because you know you go to where the money is, right?
3: Yeah, or you know, I think uh, was it Coke that had the the girl that worked there, the the lady sell out? Oh, yeah, or almost sell out to Pepsi. they the secret formula. Yep, um, a few she, years ago, she
2: approached. She was a walk in. That's right. Who approached Pepsi with the the secret formula for Coke, and Pepsi told Coke about it. And that lady got in big trouble.
3: Oh, Pepsi came out. Yeah, they um. Said, they said, eh, we got our own formula. Yeah. We don't mind being second tier. <laughs> yeah. They like it. There's less pressure. So what are you going to do with all this stuff? <clears throat> when you got all this information, who's going to be looking at it? It's obviously not the spy.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like, if you, you know, you're not just, you don't have one controller with one spy, and that's what all of your information is. You have all of this information coming in from all these different sources, whether it's, you know, satellite photos or, um, you know, human intel. And you have people called data analysts who are putting it all together and they write daily briefs or papers or profiles on, say, like, um, the newest leader of North Korea, uh, Kim Jong Un. Yeah. Um, and they, it's basically just like, here's this threat. Here's what you want to know about this person. Uh, there may be an attack from this group. And it's, it's basically this picture that's cobbled together like a mosaic. Of of created of of data and information.
3: Yeah, Stalin apparently received information that the Germans were going to turn on the Soviets in uh, World War II, and he said, "Nyet, I don't believe." Mm-hmm. So he ignored the data, and look at what happened—like a million people died in St. Petersburg, yeah, or Stalingrad. So he did not analyze the data to his advantage. Uh No, um, apparently
2: also we uh, you. You can use this these data analysts to say, we've got a gap here that we need to fill in, so go do this. So right. there's kind of like a, um, it's a two-way street as far as data collection and data uh, analysis goes, right? Right. A pretty good example was the Purple Code of Japan in World War II, where, so, we, well, we, we had a pretty good idea that um, Midway Island was going to be attacked, but we didn't know if we were reading the code for Midway Island correctly, which is AF. We thought it was, but we weren't sure. Right. So um, the, uh, I guess, Army intelligence or somebody said, hey, get Midway to in, to issue a, a plea for fresh water, saying that they're low on fresh water, and they did. And then we intercepted a Japanese transmission saying that AF was low on fresh water, so we knew Boom. that AF was Midway, and we knew then that Midway was definitely going to be attacked, and we won the Battle of Midway as a
3: result. USA. Right. <laughs> USA. Uh, misinformation is, is just as important as the real information. Spies spend, you know, from the sounds of this article, just as much time, uh, doling out misinformation as they do collecting the real stuff. Right. A very important part of it.
2: Yeah. Um, and one good way to do that is to get caught spying. Double agent? Yeah.
3: What's a double agent?
2: Well, a double agent is somebody who, say, is spying, an American who's spying for the Russians, and then the Americans say, wait a minute, this guy's spying for the Russians. Let's make sure that all of this information that he has access to is altered and wrong and flawed, and then he'll pass it along to the Russians, and he'll be what's called an unwitting double agent. Right. Or we can go to him directly and be like, we're going to fry you, pal, unless you start giving fake information to the Russians. And then that person
3: is a winning double agent in that case. And he'll say, you're no pal of mine. No. Or, Josh, you can be a triple agent or even, I guess, a quadruple or quintuple agent. It happens. Yeah. To where the Russians, uh, the Americans nab you, and then they turn you into a double agent, but the Russians know about that, and you're still secretly working for the Russians in the... Uh, was this the Grabster that wrote this? Mm-hmm. He points out that it's gotten so convoluted with the quadruple and up that sometimes, in the end, his, history can't even tell what they were. Yeah, like who who the person was actually, whose side they were on. Yeah,
2: I would imagine that person's probably on their own side after a while. Yeah,
3: just look, just trying to not get thrown in the husskow, exactly, or the gulag. Yeah, Uh I guess we can talk about Operation Fortitude because that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Um, this was a really big misinformation campaign about, uh, the invasion of Normandy on D-Day.
3: A very, like, elaborate one.
2: Well, yeah, it included, um, creating fake troops, yeah. fake, um, tanks and troop transports, fake fuel depots. Like built out of wood. Yeah, um, and amassing them on the, uh, southern coast of England to make the Nazis think that the invasion of France was going to come from, no, I'm sorry, the northern coast of England. Right. To make them think it was going to come from the north. Exactly. Right? Um, and instead of the south where Normandy was. And part of this was, um, a big part of it was feeding double agents false information. And there was one guy named Garbo who was a big player in
3: this whole thing. Codename Garbo. I like yeah. that. Right. This is like Blazing Saddles. How so? Well, they built a fake rock ridge at the end. With fake, uh, townspeople and, uh, and a fake, uh, and when they came a riding into town, a whoppin' and a whoppin', it was, <laughs> they found out it was not real. And then, uh, on Little was able to prevail. Nice. Well, in this case, the Allies prevailed. Yeah. Um. Sort of like Cleveland Little. Yeah.
2: They, they even went further than, you know, painting a bunch of fuel depots to, to look like the real thing. Um, they created a completely fake, uh, battalion, the first U.S. Army group. Yeah. It was led by General Patton, even though it was totally fake. <laughs> yeah. They had fake radio chatter about this group and the invasion. And on the day of the invasion, they dropped um, all sorts of uh, aluminum from planes right to reflect radar to make it look like there's a big movement of uh, an Air Force across the English Channel. Uh, they did the same thing with submarines. Um and it looked like there was an invasion coming from the north while there was really one coming from the south.
3: And it worked, right?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, we took Normandy. That was the first, like, 15 minutes of, um, saving Private Ryan. Yeah. So I don't know if it worked.
3: I mean, I guess it worked. Well, not the first 15 minutes. I think you're forgetting about the, the bookends of that movie. What? With, uh, old Matt Damon in the cemetery. Right. And then they went to the awesome part. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. It was like the first five minutes kind of sucked, and then they was that
2: the Matt Damon. Yeah, it was him grown up. I just thought it was it was uncanny. He I he hit this. the uncanny valley. Yeah. The, if it was an actor playing him, or was it Matt Damon in makeup?
3: No, no, no. It was an actor who looked a lot like an okay, old Matt Damon. Gotcha.
2: Well, he was in the uncanny valley. I'm not sure he
3: exists. Yeah. You know, here's my advice to filmmakers, to people like the Steven Spielbergs of the world. Don't don't bookend your movie like that. It's always a bad idea. You think so? Yeah, man, that movie would have kicked so much more butt if it was just started with the D Day invasion and ended how it ended. Oh, okay. Like everything from that to uh what was the Clint Eastwood uh Bridges of Madison County? Terrible bookends on that one. Whenever you show like the modern day bookends, just don't do it. Just stick to the story. Okay. We're clever. We we don't need Matt Damon, old Matt Damon in a cemetery. Breaking down? No, that was a little uh, a little. little ha- uh, was a little off-putting. A little heavy-handed.
2: Yeah, it was kind of like, suck it up,
3: pal. But who am I? I'm just a podcaster. Steven Spielberg. You're
2: definitely not part of the uh, greatest generation, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, do you want to hear a pretty cool story about the D-Day invasion? Sure. Um, the day before, no, I'm sorry, the month before the, um, the invasion of Normandy, the D-Day invasion, the turning point of the war. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, MI5 guys was doing the Daily Telegraph puzzle, uh, and he started noticing that a lot of the answers were kind of curious. Like, for example, um, one of the answers was Utah. Another was Omaha. Mm-hmm. These were codenames for the beaches at Normandy where landing points were going to be for the invasion. Um, <clears throat> another answer was Mulberry. Which is the name of a floating harbor that was going to be towed across the channel to accommodate the supply ships. Another was weird. shrapnel. Another was Neptune, which was the code name for the naval support for the operation. And then the, they also, uh, had the answer Overlord, which was the name for the whole operation wow. for operation the D-Day Overlord. invasion. So MI5's like, what's going on? Like, clearly somebody's feeding information. One of the, one of the ways of disseminating, like you were saying, getting in touch with your controller or yeah. letting them know that you've done a dead drop is through the newspaper.
3: Yeah, like a classified ad or something.
2: Right. And um, so they went, MI5 sent some some guys to go rough up the person who wrote this crossword and find out what the deal was. He's a 54-year-old school teacher. And uh, he had no idea. The whole thing was total coincidence what the mi5 finally they were convinced like this guy has no clue what's going on really? he is not an agent they looked into his background and it was total coincidence how many words total it there was there? like six i think interesting big ones wow isn't that weird that is really weird A month before the invasion huh i bet he was i bet he was uh i'll bet that guy was nervous yeah
0: until they believed him I bet he was pooping his pants as important as choosing the right destination when traveling, is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Jean. Eugene Fodor. Jean, what's we'll it?
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman.
1: It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Um, well, I guess that does it for pooping her pants Yep. on this one. Um, if you want to know more about spies, you can type spies, S-P-I-E-S, into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and that's going to bring up listener mail.
3: That's right, Josh. And before we read listener Mail, we want to announce that our email address has officially changed um, from StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com right to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. Oh yeah. we discovery has finally said, all right, I guess you guys are really working for us. <laughs> we'll give you addresses with our with our name on it here, your're official. Yes. So that's how you can reach us now, and we're going to point this out quite a few times over the next few weeks.
2: Well, yeah, plus at the same at the same time we say it at the end of the podcast every time. Sure. Um, what else? Oh, we have a newsletter. Yeah, go ahead. Spill it. Uh, we have a Stuff You Should Know newsletter that you can subscribe to. Uh, there's a little uh, link to it on the left rail of our Facebook page at yep. facebook.com slash stuff you should know. It's free. It's not spam. It's bacon because you have to opt in for it. Um, and you'll probably like it. It, it um, sends out a link to the newest episode. Um, it has a bunch of articles that we wrote or like on sure. the site. Uh, it's just cool. It's yeah. fun.
3: And South by Southwest. Yeah. People of Austin, Texas, we're coming back. Yep. And we will be podcasting live on Sunday, March 11th. Not quite sure exactly what time. This will be a, a badge event. If you have a badge, please come out and see us. Mm-hmm. But fear not, we are also trying, trying to get a non-badge event together at a local watering hole for, uh, regular old fans to come out. Yeah. So, uh, stay tuned for information on that. We're working on it. Um, hey, if you've got a place, hit us up. We're, yeah, we're, we're looking. Yeah. Please do. But, um, hopefully we'll have a non-badge event, uh, that will be pretty cool. We got some fun stuff cooking here. Uh, yeah. You got anything else? Yeah, just a listener mail. Oh, yeah, that's That's just a regular old listener (laughs) mail. I forgot about that. Uh, This is a correction, and while we're correcting, I want to point out, as I have many, many, many times, that polar bears do not live in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. I was very ill that day and shouldn't have probably even been podcasting, but I misspoke. Uh, Josh technically was talking about emperor
2: penguins. No, I'll tell you what I was talking about. You know how you were saying polar bears only live in Antarctica and they only live in the Arctic? Well, I didn't say that, but yeah, sure. Well, isn't that the gist of what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I was saying that penguins don't live in the Arctic. They live in Antarctica. Yes, they are also found in places like Australia. South Africa. Um, I'm South sure Africa. Argentina has her sure. share. Chile, um, places not
3: too far away from Antarctica. But what I was saying is that they're not found in the Arctic. And ping and Emperor penguins though are only found in Antarctica. So thank you for originally that. that's what you're talking about, so I'm defending either. Okay, so let's let's hear yet another correction. Yet another correction. And and we messed up Edmonton too. The Canadians aren't very happy with this. No, I know. So let me clear this up. Okay. Calgary, Alberta is a city in Canada. Edmonton, Alberta is also a city in Canada. Alberta is a province in Canada. So it's like Atlanta, Georgia. New York, New York. And here's the thing. I love Canada. I hate I hate that we mess Canadian things up because we got a lot of fans there and they are sensitive people. I know. The only problem with Canada is it's so close to Detroit. <laughs> oh, boy. We love Detroit, too, by the way. So I think that's good. We don't need listener mail because all those corrections were okay. enough. Cool. So thank you to all the Canadian fans who wrote in and all the uh, polar bear and penguin defenders of the earth we are sorry we are human and we do. we did
2: uh, hopefully we will uh, do better let's make it a stuff you should know resolution to do
3: better in 2012 well that's supposed to be done before so let's just make it for 2013 and let's just keep screwing up mm, no alright let's do better
2: okay um oh I want to hear spy stories okay me too. Uh, we want to hear them uh, in 140 characters or less on Twitter at uh, S-Y-S-K Podcast. That's all one word. Um, and you can also reach us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash know. Tre- and you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.
3: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.